Welcome, ladies and gentlemen, to another episode of Tempered Leadership. I'm your host, Eric Rieger, and today I am joined by Dan Dunn, the president of Acuity out of Chicago and Lombard, Illinois. Dan, welcome to the show. Hey, Eric. Thanks for having me. It's my pleasure. Dan, you and I have known each other for quite a while, and as it turns out, you're in the IT space too. Who would have thought? That is right. Yeah, two guys who... Uh... <laughs> Took the plunge, but yeah, absolutely. And so I want to I start want to start off by you and I, you know, if people who don't know us, if we were, they were just looking at us outside, our offices are probably twenty minutes from one another. On paper, we should be considered competitors, but ever since you and I were introduced to one another, it's been completely the opposite. We developed a friendship pretty quickly, and we've been helping one another probably almost a decade now, I think. It's, it's been that long. So tell me what your mindset was, um, because obviously it took us about five minutes to, you know, in that first meeting to realize that, you know, hey, this is a guy I want to be part of my inner circle. What was it in your mindset that you didn't see me as a competitor, I didn't see you as a competitor, we just, you know, immediately clicked and and have been, you know, pretty good friends and and shared a lot of trade secrets, resources, what have you over the years? What What's your mindset in, in approaching it that way? Yeah, so I think I mean, the first part of it was uh, mutual introduction, uh, Charles, that we both know and had a relationship with and respected, or do respect quite a bit, had mentioned to me that um, he has a friend, Eric, who is in IT, and that the working relationship that you've had with him was one where he could see a lot of similarities between what not only are we doing at Acuity, uh, but also my personality, challenges that we're having, uh, successes, and, and all that. So when I basically uh, heard uh, about you, it was kind of like you were already teed up as somebody I was excited to meet and didn't approach my first engagement with you as a competitor, but really as a friendly introduction to someone who we both had a lot of respect for. And if he saw something in both of us that uh, identified as really compatible personalities, then I, I think I went at it with a different mindset. Uh, so when we first met, I had the uh, advantage of knowing quite a bit about you uh, and as well as um, you know, maybe doing a little more homework before we got together for the first time. And because of Charles' uh, introduction and then just meeting with you for the first time, I definitely saw what he saw. And that was somebody I could see as being a friend. And my thought was there's somebody else who is in a similar space to what we are uh, there would be a lot of opportunity for me to learn from you and there might be opportunities for me to share things that we're doing as well to uh, make you guys stronger on the business side. Um, and then probably just the personalities are really similar. Uh, I think you and I both choke around and bust each other's chops and kind of keep us honest, which is something I identified quickly with you know, who you were as a person. So naturally then I was gravitating to you as a, as a person uh, who I could see uh, being a friend. And then we also had the business in common. So that's, that's my perspective. I'm not sure what you're talking about because everything I've ever said to you has been completely 100% serious. Hello. So you, you, thought I was, <laughs> you thought I was joking? <laughs> yeah, exactly right. You know, so. Oops. Well, this is going to be a short interview. <laughs> it will be very awkward now. Yeah. <laughs> well, that, that was the whole theme of the show is, is how awkward can we make it? Yeah. But it, it, getting back to just being serious for a, a few seconds, I mean, that's to, to me, that's one of the things that once you start you know, kind of changing your mindset in terms of, you know, the, the, the market we're in specifically, I mean, the Chicagoland area, 
there is so much like there's there's no way in two lifetimes we could put a dent in the marketplace for the way we want to go about business. Now yeah. there are there are a lot of companies out there that are just trying to sign up clients as fast and as furious as all just about growth. But I think there was a, a an intention, a purpose behind what we were doing. And as we started talking, like right away, we realized that we're we're kind of going at uh, the space a little differently. We each had you know kind of different segments and different markets and different size clients and and different things where you know the the the, the veil kind of dropped pretty quickly and we realized you know hey there's strength in numbers here if you make a mistake and learn something if i make a mistake and learn something why have the other guy make that same mistake especially the painful ones in in the it space you know, you, you and I have been going at it for probably close to half a century between the two of us. Mm -hmm. And there's been a lot of painful moments. And so, you know, that's to, to me has been another strength in, and we also have another friend, uh, John from Wayden, who, who's part of our little triad. And, you know, that's, that's been another, for me, key addition from a leadership perspective is I, I learned from you guys and that shortens the, the cycle. It shortens the learning curve. Mm -hmm. which then again, the people that work for us and the people who are, you know, uh, clients of ours, they benefit from that. They benefit from this, this triad relationship and, you know, how we're, we're sharing the experiences, you know, especially in things we learn too, that are good. It's not all mistakes in it. It's we, we do yeah. actually, you know, intentionally do some good things that we share as well. And I, I personally think it's, it's, it's significantly contributed to our growth. I don't know how you feel on your side, but it's it's definitely made a big difference. I don't think we'd be anywhere near where we're at today without this this partnership, relationship, friendship, all of the ships. Yeah, no, I, I would agree with you. It's an interesting story too. When uh, I met John uh, initially, it was a salesperson who cold called uh, into my office and was uh, asking if Acuity needed someone to help with their IT services. And I kind of joked a little bit and said, yeah, you know, maybe we do, but you know, we kind of do the same thing you guys do and uh, would love to uh, talk to your CEO. And while it was a little awkward exchange with their, their sales rep, um, it was nice to be able to connect with John, uh, being that he was also within the area. And then quickly realized he had a similar mindset too about you know, the power of numbers and we could learn from each other's uh, successes as well as we could learn from you know, mistakes that we've had uh, made over the years. And uh, you know, try to avoid or to navigate differently in those waters. So, uh, and, and I think I've seen that if I look at uh, our relationship, uh, so you and I have known each other for 10 years, uh, maybe John, you know, five to six years, maybe somewhere in there, is that as things become uh, uh, more serious when it comes to security, I, I see that even now the conversations we're having where none of us want our clients to be impacted by any kind of high, high impact security event. You know, there's a lot of stuff that we're all trying out and able to share that knowledge. So that collective, like you said, really does help our clients quite a bit. Um, and there's tons of times where you guys uh, aren't getting credit by name, but something that we've learned uh, in our group together that we've rolled out and clients have appreciated. Uh, it's a, a nod to you guys too for the, the advice and things that you've seen that have been successful. Well, I think one of the things that makes our little group so so uh, successful, like you were saying, is is the fact that we're all vulnerable. We're all willing to be vulnerable in front of one another. Mm -hmm. So there's, you know, I mean, you can go back in the history. We've all had is issues and we've all had, you know, uh, periods of time that have been a little rough. 
And, you know, a lot of times, this, uh, you know, people who would be considered competitors, that's the last thing that they want to share is you don't want your competitors to know your weaknesses. And by God, I think the three of us, I mean, we know every single flaw, every weakness that the three of us have, and yeah. we complement each other well in those areas to where mm -hmm. we don't let a weakness of one person in the group become a weakness of the entire group. Mm -hmm. And together we've become stronger because of that. And that's, that to me, that's always been kind of a key component of leadership is being willing to be vulnerable, you know, in front of your team, in front of your clients, in front of your peers, um, you know, not, not necessarily to show weakness all the time, but just to like, Hey, we're all human. We're all going through this thing together. And, you know, the, the more vulnerable you allow yourself to become, the more open, the more you're learning, the more other people then tend to open up. I, I found even yeah. people who are very closed lip, tight lip, they see somebody doing it. And then all of a sudden a couple people are doing it. It's like, now it's almost like peer pressure. You don't want to be the one not sharing because <laughs> then you look like you look like the jerk in the group. It's like, well, wait a minute, everybody else is sharing. I'm just here taking. So there's there's kind of that power of intention, power of vulnerability. And I think that's that's played a role in our success together as yeah. a group as well. And I think like to your point, you know, if it's really superficial or you come across as like over over the top robotic, you're not sharing this information. Uh, yet, you know, you might not be achieving the goal that you set forth. It's like, okay, so this person is coming across uh, really just trying to protect a lot of information by not being vulnerable. They're not not only exposing, you know, areas of weakness, but really what are they gaining from the group? Because while they might seem to be taking, 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 are they really listening? Uh, and, and you're right, Eric, I think that's the magic that works with the three of us when we get together. Um, I think also too, it's, it's when any of us are having a great week, a great month, a great day, uh, we had a huge success and we landed a big client or a big project. Uh, it's knowing that I can't wait to talk to you guys and share that with you. And it's not a brag, but it's, I know that you guys will be happy for the success we had. And then the flip side is when we're dealing with a significant challenge in the business as well, to be able to say, hey guys, you know, I'm hitting a tough spot here. Uh, we had a large client that left us. Uh, we have a couple key employees who are not happy. Um, you know, I'm not sure if it's a culture issue, you know, what is it? You know, then the more information that you guys have, uh, I found that the more you can contribute because you really know what the root of something is, as opposed to me just getting together for lunch and saying, hey guys, everything's going great. And you know, that doesn't do uh, any of us any good and it's not genuine, so. I think that's that's another important point from a leadership perspective is it's not like any of us are going to sit down and have those deep conversations with our staff, uh, no matter how close we are to them. Like I'm very close to a lot of the people that work in, in our organization. I mean, I consider most of them, if not all of them, family. You know, mm -hmm. a few of them are, are fairly new and they probably look at me a little weird going like, you know, I've been here two weeks and you're already looking at me like I'm family. But that's that's yeah. kind of how we're doing things. But there's there's just certain things that if you shared them, you'd probably scare them, you know, and they, they start to see a weakness. And it, it's not so much that it's just, they, they don't have the perspective of being in the role that you do. Whereas, you know, the three of us can sit down at any given time and share something and, and you have that genuine perspective, because it's like, Oh, yeah, I've been there, or I, I might not have that same exact thing that you're dealing with. But I know what you're feeling, because mm -hmm you know, you have the weight of the world on your shoulders sometimes because, you know, you're yeah. responsible for all these lives. Yeah, it's interesting too, because 
you know, you hear like growing up, growing in the business where leaders will say, don't get too close to your team because one day you'll have to have a tough conversation with somebody. And that conversation will be that much worse because, you know, you don't have a, you don't have the friendship where you do have that friendship with them and you're afraid to see what they might say. Um, and, and I've read uh, quite a bit lately just around the vulnerability aspect, uh, as well as in your team getting to know that you are human and that human element is something they can connect with and will want to connect with and rally around and help you achieve the vision you're setting for the company. And so the little risk you have of exposing yourself to your team members in a way that really connects, you know, either what's going on in their lives, you consider them friends, you consider them family, you know, there's a time where they'll have a last day at the company, either something that would be a change, you know, yourself as a leader or uh, a change because they're looking for opportunities outside the business, but to be able to appreciate them being part of the journey uh, and helping them grow and feel connected the little risk of being hurt as a leader because they're leaving, uh, I think is uh, it pales in comparison to the connections and the growth opportunities you have uh, while you're together. And that's something I've noticed from a couple of the, the newer people that have come into our organization is, you know, we're, we're really starting to do a much better job on the recruiting and, and uh, you know, just from, from an, I don't like the term HR, but from, from that standpoint of, um, you know, making sure we're, we're bringing the right people in and we're able to give them the right, you know, the right career path. Uh, the last two uh, gentlemen who have joined our organization have both introduced us to their former employers mm-hmm. and we're striking up, you know, friendships with them. I, I wouldn't say like there's a, any kind of a business relationship going on, but there's, again, it's kind of like our organizations where there's some opportunities to work together. Uh, you know, both of them left on good terms and you could see that, you know, there's, there's some good leaders out there that are, are, they don't burn bridges. There were circumstances where things had to change. Like you said, they're, you know, they just, they, they weren't going to stay with the organization. Uh, but you know, the, the, the people I've talked to have had nothing but great things to say about our current employees. And conversely, they've had nothing but good things to say about their, their former organizations. And it's, it's kind of refreshing in this day and age of, you know, corporate churn and, and the Jack Welsh theory of, you know, you, you, you promote the 10, top 10%, you fire the bottom 10%, which I never understood that, you know, you're, we're in the business of building people and just to, to know every year the bottom 10% is getting fired. I mean, how can you be motivated going to work in an, in an organization like that? Mm-hmm. You know, you have bad personal circumstance happen to you and all of a sudden you're in the bottom 10, you're out of a job and you could be you know, the best fit for the organization, but they're just looking at you as a number. Yeah. I think also like that loyalty you show as a leader in the organization is one that'll pay back tenfold, uh, either with an employee who will then be there for you when you're having hard times, either because of client loss or some other kind of negative impact event to the company. Um, but I mean, it will be remembered. And if that person leaves the organization, uh, then it's generally one who knows the door is wide open for them if they want to return. Uh, and, and in some occasions, I've had that with my team members where you know, there was opportunities that they had at Acuity. The culture was really close. Uh, they really cared and, 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 and really loved their fellow teammates. Um, and yet we didn't have an opportunity uh, that was going to be available for them to pursue in the case of one person comes to mind with security. They want to get into enterprise security. And most of the clients we serve uh, don't fit within enterprise space. I, I think 5,000 employees is about the max size for the clients that we serve. And so this person wanted to look at what is it like to be an enterprise security guy and left the organization and uh, within six months came back and we took them back with open arms, but it was building all that goodwill as a leader. 
that uh, encourage them to grow within the organization. But when they left, to know the door is open and they have a place welcome back um, back at home. Yeah, I think the only exception I, I ever make to that rule, and we have had to do that on rare occasion, is when there's been just an egregious core values violation. Yeah. You know, like, like uh, integrity, yeah. uh, you know, somebody flat out lies and mm -hmm. either to you or to the customers or, or what have you. Uh, it's, it's hard to rebuild that trust. And, you know, everybody, everybody gets a, should get a second chance, uh, I, I believe. But, you know, once that trust has been damaged, it's, it's so hard to rebuild it uh, when, when the, the person has proven that, you know, given the chance, they're, they're, they're not going to follow, you know, the, 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 the integrity, the backbone, the core values of the organization. Yeah, I, I agree. I, I don't know how that's recoverable. I think it's uh, one of those that uh, agree to disagree and then not re-engage um, because you're right, once that's shaken, I think at that point you're just waiting for that event to happen again uh, in the future and it will happen. So it's best to, to not get yourself in a situation to, to make and that. Those those are the tough things being leaders too, because the other, the other thing is everybody else in the organization is looking to you like, what are you going to do about this? Mm -hmm. Because if you let it go and then the core values just don't mean anything after that, you know, they're, yeah. they're just words on a piece of paper or slogans on a wall and everybody's just going to look at them and go, well, you know, the last time somebody violated didn't matter to you. So why should I care? Mm -hmm. Slippery slope, very slippery slope. You know, it can go sideways pretty quickly if you don't, yeah. hire and fire based on them clients and employees i mean that's goes both ways yeah it is interesting too because you're right it goes both ways and even with clients if you have a client whose culture doesn't fit yours you know you'll end up losing your a players because they won't want to service those clients and i'm sure that uh, i mean over the years we've made those mistakes by keeping a client too long uh, or even keeping a team member who had a really great skill set but just did not fit well within the internal culture and so we would always make excuses for this person is loved by the client. The client likes when they call, likes when he's on site, he or she's on site. However, back in the, uh, let's say back in the locker room, you know, star rock star on the field and cancer in the locker room. And uh, the team is just waiting for us to make a change. And uh, if a performance improvement plan isn't going to cut it, the best thing to do is cut that bad apple out of the mix. So. Yeah, and I was I was on a, a webinar this morning with uh, Simon Sinek's group. So he's they're doing uh, uh, their Infinite Game series online, and they're talking about um, I think it's the, the the Marines and and the military in general. Uh, if you're a high performer with a terrible attitude, that's the worst possible combination. They would take a low performer who's a team player a uh, hundred times out of a hundred over somebody who's <clears throat> a much higher performer, but with a terrible attitude because you just can't trust them. You know, when you, when the chips are down and you need them the most, I mean, you look at what the military does uh, you know, somebody who's, who's not trustworthy. I mean, you're talking tens, hundreds, thousands, tens of thousands of lives. Mm -hmm. It's, it's no different in, in what we do. I mean, it's not, not necessarily that people are going to die. Although if you're in healthcare and there's, you know, mm -hmm. there was that ransomware event in Germany now where somebody actually died because yeah. the, the, the equipment got locked up. Um, but that's, that's the thing. I mean, it's, it just takes one small cancer to just spread like wildfire through the, uh, through the culture. Mm -hmm. And uh, it's, it's, it's hard to recover from events like that. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I think your integrity is something that uh, is, is okay as a leader too, right? Because if someone sees that 
you know, your your integrity could be waived or is negotiable, right? I mean, as a leader, um, you know, how would anybody follow somebody who's not sure, you know, that they're not going to stand by their morals and their values? So I think when you see that in other people, uh, that definitely is a cause for concern. And then as a leader, it's critical that you know you don't have gaps in in, in your morals, of course, and then just the integrity of who you are and what you say. So so keeping on the theme of culture, obviously, uh, you know, February, March of this year kind of flipped everybody's world upside down. And, you know, uh, we, you and I were talking and we were learning all kinds of new skills that we didn't know we were ever going to need in the IT space. Um, you know, we're, we're still dealing with clients and, and our own teams that are not together all the time like they used to be. What, what have you done? What has your team done to, to try and maintain the culture in this in this trying time of social distancing, remote work, working, what are you guys doing that's, that you might not have been doing before the pandemic? Yeah, so I mean, we are definitely doing things differently. Um, what was probably unique about Acuity is um, we started to restore uh, our uh, in-office uh, team like mid-May. So we may have been kind of ahead of the curve uh, and we did it. Uh, so in early March, when everybody was going home, including our clients, our office, with the exception of maybe three to four people, were working remote 100%. And so we saw that uh, we had a lull of client opportunities because we weren't doing a lot of project work on site, uh, as well as then, uh, like all businesses, there was a concern around cash crunches. What's going what's gonna to happen in my business? What is the economy going to mean? What is it going to mean tomorrow? We're all trying to get information. So Acuity, like many of our clients, had about a six week to eight week period where we we're all remote. I looked at the business and I said, okay, uh, the tail end of May to June, um, I have a sense that it'll be important for us to get uh, our business back to a new normal uh, and fully engaged because I have a sense that a couple months of a lull of things not being done, meaning projects that were put on hold, uh, service visits were uh, no longer happening, uh, equipment uh, that was aging is, you know, maybe two months later, three months later, uh, is going to need repair, that we need to really start to uh, get ahead of things and start bringing our team back together in a fashion that, you know, gets kind of like business back to normal. So when you talk about the COVID and the social distancing, the uh, our office layout was conducive to uh, six feet apart for desks. Uh, we took out a lot of chairs. We've done a lot of stuff in, in the office where we knew that we'd have a lot of people that'd be closer than six feet away. Uh, our office does require, when you walk in, there's a head scanner to have your temperature checked. Uh, a lot of the policies that many businesses have put in place too, as far as if you're running any kind of a fever and quarantine uh, home for 14 days. Uh, the mask requirement when you're walking about the office is something that Acuity has when you're at your personal workspace you're definitely six feet away from others. So, um, you know, you don't have to wear the mask when you're on the phone. Uh, and, and what we found is uh, the spirits of our team uh, with having a lot more people together at the office, not on top of each other, but restoring back to going into the office, we started to see a shift in less conversation around COVID and more conversations around the business and the growth of the business. And in return, what we've seen is just a massive uptick in revenue uh, energy, uh, culture, uh, and so, so far it's been great. That being said, we also know we're going into a flu season and we'll have to be a little bit more agile to kind of adapt to, you know, if somebody gets sick, what does that mean? What kind of alarms go off and how do we adjust?
Um, and it does seem like a lot of our clients who uh, previously didn't have uh, a presence in an office are starting to come back as well too. Not everybody in the team, but you know, 25 to 50% of their staff kind of come back in waves. Yeah, two things that you said there. One is you you have a beautiful new office. I remember when you you first invited us out there to take a look at it. I mean, you guys, you really did it up nice. And and you're right, the the space that you have there, uh, you you could take credit and just say you were ahead of the time. You're you're a planner. You're a futurist. You knew this was coming. <laughs> you moved ahead of time. You were ahead of the curve. You yeah. you, you you had everybody beat. But the other thing I'm glad that you you clarified was when you said you had a head scanner. Then you went into it's for just for temperature only because if you put in like one of those real head scanners, I'd never be allowed back in because you'd be like, oh, here comes a mental case, right? That's <laughs> right. It would pick up more than the temperature. It would be like <laughs> warning alarms and buzzes and fire alarms going off. Well, everybody, yeah. everybody already knows about my, uh, well, the, 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 the listeners here will get to hear about my mental health journey over the, the mm -hmm. coming seasons of this, this podcast, but uh, mm -hmm. my close friends already know all the fun stuff that I've gone through with therapy and everything. And I'm like, oh my gosh, he's got a head scanner. I'm never going to get, I'm never getting back <laughs> in that office again. <laughs> How about it? How about it? You know, it's funny, Eric, too, because like we talk about restoring back to the office, you know, it was also a point, I don't know how you felt, so I would be curious, but you know, maybe like late April, early May, when I had a sense of how COVID was affecting those who were at high risk, first and foremost, and how it was affecting others uh, of different age and pre-existing conditions, I, I remember thinking, I don't want to be in the passenger seat of business, and so we'll have to adapt our processes, we'll have to keep our team safe, we'll have to make sure everybody understands the rules and regulations for being at the office as well as being at client sites, um, but I can't have my destiny controlled fully um, by like the government. And what I mean by that is there was opportunities for the PPP funding, which was helpful, but I was like, hey, you know, at the end of the day, the team members who are here as part of Acuity and the culture, they're gonna be looking to me to make sure that they have a job to pay their bills. And I think that's what started to kick in in May, which is I'm not gonna be on the reactive side of everything. Let's get proactive. Let's start re-engaging. Let's start making stuff happen as opposed to having stuff happen to us. And that was a, it was a big shift, you know, and it, it could be, I was cooped up as well at home too long. And I'm like, I gotta get out of here. So any reasons well, to, to kind of shift out of this, but I, I definitely saw it as a, negro, uh, a negative uh, down spiral. And when you talk about mental health and things that affect you and your emotional state and all that stuff too, I saw that with myself. I saw that with my son. Um, and I was like, wow, you know, some things have to start restoring so you feel like you have control as opposed to everything that's happening to you. Well, you, you, just, you just touched on one of the biggest challenges and one of the biggest responsibilities of leadership. In, in, in my eyes, from, from all the reading and mentoring and learning and, uh, that I've done, is the number one job of a leader is to build more leaders. Mm -hmm. But, you know, kind of 1B is you, you have to create a, a sense of safety for the team. And that's exactly, you You hit it on the head, is they want to know, A, they're going to be safe from a health perspective, and right behind that, they want to know they're still going to have a job, yeah. you know, because you saw the numbers on TV. I mean, they were staggering. If you were in the restaurant industry or if you were in the travel industry yeah. uh, or hospitality of any kind, you, you, you pretty much, there was no safety net for you whatsoever. Mm -hmm. And, you know, I, I agree with you about not, letting the government control destiny. I'm not an anti-government person. Like I'm not going to be, you know, starting riots and things like that. But 
we we are as leaders we're in control of our own destiny in 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 that regard and to to the extent we can and that's that's why having your you this the, our, our leadership group i mean you and john and i you know okay what's this ppp thing all about you know and there there wasn't a lot of guidance coming from the government and we're yeah. okay here i found this little piece and and so then i would take the piece that you sent and i would send it out to all my clients and you know, then John would get something, and then we'd send it. Out, we'd send out what John got, and then and I'd get something, and you guys would send it out. And you know, that's that's the power leader leaders working in concert, sharing the knowledge, and then everybody that worked with us or for us was the benefactor of that. And we were creating this bit of safety net or this bit of um, calm in this in 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 troubled waters where you know you couldn't turn on the TV without you know some somebody coming at you of either we're all going to die, the economy's going to collapse. And, you know, when you, and then you're cooped up, it's, it's like, it's no wonder people were starting to lose it. And, and so that was one of our primary jobs was to bring them back and say, look, it's yes, a pandemic's not a great thing, but we're going to survive this. People are going to have their jobs. You know, it's going to be okay. Yeah. It is interesting too, because, you know, like as a leader, clearly not everybody agreed with me. And so getting back to the office the second or third week, actually we did it over like a six week period of time to kind of phase everyone back in. Uh, and, and and not everybody on my team agreed. So I could make it seem like, hey, everybody's mental health was restored. Everybody was happy to get out of the, the house. Everybody couldn't wait to get back to the office. Uh, and while that is the, the truth for the majority of the team, there were a handful of outliers who were like, whoa, you know, I'm really bringing them back into a situation that equals instant death. And knowing that and, and processing it, and also if I'm sending the tone at the top that what we're going to be doing as far as a rotation of team members in the office, and that everyone is gonna be part of this rotation and we're gonna restore the company, that no one or two people, uh, with exception of those who have uh, extreme, you know, either a pre-existing condition themselves where they would be exposed to something and put them in a bad spot, but that I would have to step up and be uh, make the decisions and knowing that some were popular, some people would be on board with it and some would not and still being comfortable and not being wishy-washy. So when I look back at March, April, May, and June and my messaging, my messaging in May or in, in uh, March was uncertain, trying to figure out what's going on. I don't think the world's coming to an end. Come April, we're figuring things out. I have a sense of what this looks like. Come May, here's what the impact is to the business and what this could mean to jobs. So let's get back to business with a new normal. And then starting in June, you know, we're back too. And I would imagine that uh, the majority of my team, well, I would imagine the majority of my team are still together. And I think there's also the sense of together, we are conquering this in, in no way, shape or form out of the woods, but together we're conquering it. Um, and then have over the last uh, couple of months, I uh, had to adapt for individuals who may have had someone who was a friend or a family member who was touched by COVID. So then knowing they have the, the ability to still quarantine at home for a couple of weeks uh, has been, has been a really positive journey. And that's, so we're still predominantly remote. You know, our field team is the one that's been doing most of the in-office and client visits because that's just the nature of the work they do. Um, you know, we, we've been stockpiling the, the PPP, uh, I don't know, PPE, personal protection. Yeah, the PPE. I can't keep the acronym straight. We're in an industry filled with acronyms already. And now we, somebody threw a whole bunch of other ones at us. Uh, so we've been, we've been stockpiling the masks and the gloves and all that over the, because, because you're right. I mean, 
we're heading into flu season and there's likely going to be an uptick of, of COVID again. So, um, you know, we, we did that, but we just did our first uh, virtual cocktail hour uh, last week and it was a blast. Uh, yeah. You know, we had people on, we used our Microsoft Teams and we've got this online tool called Kahoot. I, I'm sure you've probably heard of it. It's, uh, no. it's like a little gaming system and everybody can play and you get like 20 seconds to guess the answers to questions. And so we had people and their families started huddling around the, the cameras. And so like all of a sudden, you know, what was a few people now you've got you know, people who their families are around and everybody's playing the game. As we're talking here, I'm just thinking, because our, our groups have done outings together. We've gone golfing together uh -huh. and we've done some other things together. I'm thinking a virtual teams night of, of uh, Acuity versus Webbit in Kahoot. I've thrown the gauntlet down here in front of the entire world now. Yeah, you can do that. <laughs> I, I guess I'm going to be like, when we're done here, I'll have to take a look and see, hey, what's that again? Because I don't want to be like the old dude who doesn't know. <laughs> like, how do you spell it again? Is it KC? And clearly, I don't yeah, I'll, st I'll, yeah. I'll email you the link. We still do email, right? We do, yeah. I, so yeah, I think or the social I'll... aspect, too, is what keeps your team, right? So if you find those things that you could do when you're not together to keep the team engaged and keep the culture uh, you know, alive is great. So have you guys done, uh, is your office reopened as well, Eric? Yeah, we're, I mean, we're open. There's, there's probably no more than six people in at any given time. Okay. Um, but like I said, the field team is just rotating in. They'll come in, pick up gear or they'll pick up equipment or what have you. The, the help desk is, is gone completely remote. I mean, they, they haven't been in since February, March, whatever, whatever the last day was. Yeah. And they're, we're finding they're, they're becoming a lot more efficient, in that manner and they've become a, a bit closer knit of a team rather than sitting on top of one another. It's kind of, it's had a little bit of an impact of that interrupt culture. You know, yep. when somebody's right next to you, you can just go, Hey, you, uh, I just need five minutes. And that five minutes turns into like a 15 minute reset. So now they're able to, to, you know, through teams and through other communication channels, finish their work and then go turn their attention to something else and, and then come back. And then without the drive, cause a couple of them were driving almost an hour each way, you know, that's, that's efficiencies yeah, we've gained and they're a little happier now. They don't have to spend that, that time and money on gas and, and commute. Would you look at your team uh, as a leader too? I mean, you were able to identify those who are self-sufficient, self-starters come to the team with a lot of new ideas. And so I'd imagine when you saw that most of the team would go home, and work remote starting in February or March, there were some that would be able to make that transition smoothly. And I'm gonna guess there were maybe a couple that you thought uh, would not make it uh, as far as productivity. Uh, yeah. What was the uh, what was the outcome? Did you find that? Yeah, there were there were definitely a few uh, that that were itching to get back as soon as possible. Like you know, the pandemic be damned. Mm -hmm. I need to be here because I can't focus at my house for whatever reason, you know, there mm -hmm. then, and everybody's got a little bit different thing. Like I spent the time remodeling and now I built myself a little studio here, you know, yeah. just because I was uh, like, if I'm going to spend a lot of time here, I, I kind of want to make it look the way I want to make it look. Cause I had my whole office set up the way I wanted it. Well, now I got it. Now I got to set my home office up that way, but there, there are people for whatever circumstances, like they don't want to be home separating that work they, like they need that defining line between work and home and they don't like the bleed so you know and again it's communication it's talking to people it's it's mental health checks um you know just making sure everybody's because everybody deals with it differently like you said and and that's our job is to identify the people who 
or, or some people like we found out, uh, you know, one, one person in our company had an underlying condition that we didn't know about that would put that individual in greater, greater risk by putting that individual in, you know, a certain circumstance where they'd be much likelier to have an adverse effect if they were to, you know, contract COVID. So you, you learn these things. And again, if you, if you, people don't trust you, they're not going to tell you those things. And all of a sudden you're going to start seeing a dip in productivity or a dip in their commitment to the vision or commitment to the company. And it's like, you got to dig in and figure out what's going on. Otherwise that, that can spiral out of control just as, just as quickly. We've both been in business for a while and I'm thinking along the lines of uh, like leadership and the topic of, would you look at your younger self and where you're at today and all the advice that you're giving over the years? When you look at maybe one book or a piece of advice that really uh, sticks with you, maybe it didn't resonate with you when you were younger as an entrepreneur, but you wish you would have taken that advice earlier on, or you wish you would read that one book. I am curious, and I've never asked you before, but what is a piece of advice? So uh, an entrepreneur comes into your office and says, I'm thinking about starting my business. I'm 24, 25, 26, and he or she's got a really good idea, but I only want one piece of advice or one book that you really thought was something that has a major impact on you. What would that be? Yeah, that's, that's, that's an easy one now. Uh, again, having the wisdom uh, and having survived these years and having good people around me. So on the, on the first ever podcast that I did, the first episode, my coach Doug Diamond came on and there's a book he gives every one of his, anybody he's working with, if, if he senses something's not right, and it's called put your oxygen mask on first. And that would be my one piece of advice is, you know, early on, I came from a family where uh, you worked hard, you worked long hours, you didn't complain, you sucked it up, you just did whatever you had to do, and you plowed through. And early on, when you're one, two, three, four, five people, you can effort your way all day, but you can't scale a company on effort, and you're going to burn out. And mm-hmm. I, I lost a lot of relationships, I lost my marriage, I lost a lot of things because I was just too stubborn and determined that uh, you know, work was the only thing that mattered. And, you know, I'll, I'll guarantee you, uh, work is going to be there tomorrow. It's going to be there the next day. It's going to be there the day after. You have to take care of yourself first. And if you're of the mindset, and, and, and there's a lot of people who are, are entrepreneurs and leaders who are humble, and they put everybody else ahead of them. My, my father was the perfect example of that. He never took care of himself. Everybody came first. And he paid the ultimate price for it, you know, from his health. He wound up dying of cancer. He never went to see a doctor. If you were sick, you rubbed some dirt on it. That was the culture he was raised in. Uh, You know, men were taught never cry. Don't, you know, be tough. I I cry all the time. I mean, I I have no problem telling people like there's a, there's a lot of emotion in this business and just being in business. But if you don't take care of yourself, if you don't put yourself first in certain circumstances, you will not survive in business. You you, your business literally could take your life. And that would be the one piece of advice is, is there are times you're just going to have to be selfish, carve out that time every day to exercise, plan ahead, make sure you're eating right, uh, do all the things you need because you're not good to anybody else. And, and you can get by on that stuff when you're in your 20s. I mean, you know, everybody thinks they're, you know, invincible in their 20s, right? Yeah, you're not gonna die, you know. You yeah, you're gonna live forever. You could, you yeah. know, I could drink a, a 12 pack and and I oh, get yeah. up, 
you know, on three hours of sleep. And, mm-hmm. and I'll tell you what, you know, the, that's the other thing that they're finding is eight hours of sleep every night. That's, that's part of that whole picture of taking care of yourself. Yeah. You might be able to stay awake 20 hours a day, but I guarantee you there's probably eight of them where you're no good to anybody. Like the, the, the thoughts and ideas that are coming out of your head, they're yep. not as good as you think they are. <laughs> and you're, mm-hmm. you're pretty much going to be useless. So that would be take care of yourself before you take care of anybody else. Cause you can't take care of anybody else if you don't take care of yourself. Yeah. yeah I feel no. like we flipped roles and now you're doing the podcast. Did no, you just you take over the show? <laughs> <laughs> I mean, you know, it, 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 you know, it's, Hey, you know, natural leaders, right? <laughs> you know, it, this is it, why but, I had you on. <laughs> but that's right. But I mean, the, the question is something that uh, I also asked that though, because uh, I have, I'm getting older. So clearly a lot more entrepreneurs are younger. And uh, especially those who are starting a business and, and asking like, what were some of the keys to success? And, uh, you know, when I share a lot of the, you know, this was brutal or this was more difficult than I thought, or you know, here's a road I traveled and I did it over and over and over again. And clearly it led to uh, an outcome that wasn't what I expected or, uh, but uh, thinking back to like, what were the key pieces early on that either I, I received early, but I received them too early and I didn't know how to put them in action, whether it be a book or a piece of advice. So uh, I appreciate you sharing that. Yeah. Well, I, I'm, I, this will be the last question then, so we can wrap up for the night, but mm-hmm. um, I'm going to flip it back to you. What's, what's the one book or one piece of advice you got? And you can't, you can't copy mine, even though mine's, you know, obviously yeah. the most important thing you can do. What's the second most important thing <laughs> that yeah. you've learned? So uh, I would say from a book perspective, uh, the book Think and Grow Rich uh, was a book that was something that was very impactful to me. Uh, and, if, and for those who haven't read it, uh, it, it isn't necessarily just about money, right? It's feeding the mind with a lot of positive thoughts. And uh, so I think that book and E-Myth were uh, given to me uh, at an early age. And E-Myth, uh, I liked the book. I thought it was a great book. Um, the whole idea of me not doing everything and not wearing multiple hats, I got that book too early. So if I can go back and reread it again as a younger self and say, hey, these concepts in here about hiring the right people in the right roles uh, would make sense and help the business be scalable. Uh, I didn't. Uh, I read the book. I love the book, but didn't implement the process and, the, and, and follow that. But again, that is it. That is a great book. The build, you know, build it with the end in mind is really the concept of E Myth. Yeah. Uh, have Have you read Beyond E Myth? His His latest. Is, uh, I haven't. I read the Revisited, which I think was the second. Or, and I have not read the last one. No. Yeah, and maybe that's it. But it was. It starts out with like you know, you wake up, you're 50 or 60 years old, and you realize you have a business that's not worth anything because you've been working in the business, not on the business. And there's nobody to really take over. You haven't built any systems. I mean, it's kind of the same theme. You, you, you think you, you know, a lot of that, that's another thing. A lot of people, you know, in our age bracket and maybe a little older, um, you know, because there was that first wave of IT and that's why there's so many mergers and acquisitions going on now because there's a lot of people exiting businesses and they're shocked at how little their business is worth because they haven't done the right things to build value. They basically just built themselves a job. And, and I love Michael Gerber. I love listening to him talk. He reminds me of the Smuckers guy. Oh, he looks like him. That's just a whole, well, he looks like the Smuckers guy and Colonel Sanders had a baby. That's right. He's got the white beard. Yeah. Don't get me wrong. I'm not making fun of him. The guys, the guys, and uh, you know, he's, he's great. I love everything he's done and I could never pull off a hat like that. 
So I'm jealous is basically what this is all coming down to. But this is, again, a peek inside my mind. It's like I, hear, I could listen to his audiobooks over and over and over again because he just reminds me of the Smuckers guy from when I was a kid. Yeah, yeah no, none of the millennials or Gen Zs are going to know anything about what we just talked about, but that's yeah. okay. That's yeah, like what smuckers? <laughs> yeah. I can yeah. just hear it now. Okay, boomer, and it's like, no, we're Gen X. <laughs> mm-hmm. yeah. yeah, no, no, no. But yeah, it's been a good journey. I mean, I, I, yeah. I look forward to like what the next five, ten years will bring as well, too. And I think the key is, is as we've learned so much over the years, it's like okay, if we could have this knowledge and these experiences and rewind time to when we started, like how much further would we be? Um, Again, I, I, I got a great support system, great friends like yourself, family members, and those around me. So, you know, it's kind of nice to not have a system around me that is roaming in the opposite direction, but one who really supports, loves, and is here for your journey. But if I had that plus all the knowledge I have uh, today, yeah, I think I'd even be more unstoppable. So I think this is this is this is the segue into your coming back on the show, obviously, because as you and I, you know, uh, navigate through our midlife crisis it's going to be perfect to document them both in audio and video format for future oh, yeah. generations to, you know, yeah. to, to, to go through and either get some comedic relief from it or learn a few things or maybe both. <laughs> That's right. I, know. I appreciate it. Well, Dan, I, I appreciate you coming on the show. Uh, Dan Dunn of Acuity. They're out of Lombard and uh, Chicago, Illinois. Uh, Dan, if somebody wanted to get a hold of you, what's the best way to do it? I mean, the, probably the easiest way to get a hold of me is uh, you could send me an email, uh, ddunn, D-D-U-N-N, uh, at acuity, A-Q-U-E-I-T-Y dot com, or you can get a hold of Eric, and Eric will get a hold of me. <laughs> so No, I, he, Dan never answers my calls, so you're, you're best to go straight to him. Hey, you got me, you got this. Uh, <laughs> got me on the podcast, that's a, a miracle. I, I did, I did, I, I appreciate it. I have a for radio, so clearly uh, for me to be on, and you're recording this video too. Well, I mean, take a look at what you're competing with. If the two of us, it's a beauty contest. Uh, I think you're you're right. The radio, (laughs) the radio is where we belong. So Uh Dan, thanks so much for being on. I appreciate it to all the listeners out there. Thank you for giving us your time again. Uh, This has been another uh, episode of tempered leadership. Uh, Again, I'm your host, Eric Rieger. And thanks to Dan Dunn of Acuity. Uh, it's, It's been a real honor and a pleasure, sir. Likewise. Thanks, Eric. Take care. All right. Take care, everybody. Oh, thank you.